What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 220 of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, The Rise of QAnon and Fox News Election Lies episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Once upon a time in 2018, three men in their mid-30s with stalled careers started a (laughs) podcast about internet weirdos they were obsessed with. But before then, one of the few places you could read about QAnon was through Will Sommer's coverage of the phenomenon in The Daily Beast. Five years later, he published a book about what he learned in that time, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. Today, we're going to be talking to him about his experiences traveling the country, talking to QAnon influencers, attending the events, and listening to victims of the conspiracy theory. We'll also take a detour to the world of cable news where things are not okay. They're in each other's DMs being (laughs) shitty. Yes, a lawsuit has revealed that Fox News hosts were eager to platform lies about the election, even when they didn't really believe those lies themselves. So, Will, thanks again for coming on the show to talk about your book. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hello, Will. Hey, it's good to be back, you know, with, uh, with, with you know, some fellow OGs of, uh, of QAnon coverage. Yeah, we're doing yeah. fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're feeling a little silly. <laughs> this morning, this morning, as Julian answered answered the door to uh, his apartment to let me in so we can record, the first thing he said, he kind of looked down at the ground and rumbled and went, why do, why do we have a podcast? What, what do we do? Why are we doing this? Why do we do this? I mean, God clearly doesn't want us to. So if he's hailing on us, <laughs> he's trying to kill me. So if Julian has uh, conspiracy coverage fatigue, Will, I can only imagine the torture you went through writing an entire book about this. Will was 25 when he started writing this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm in my mid-20s. He's he's 82. He's on dialysis. But I'm really glad you published this book uh, because, you know, I was really eager to read it because you were one of the people who, like, really covered these QAnon topics the longest. And I remember when I first realized that QAnon was gaining significance in 2018, I was like, oh, holy shit, this is like a big deal. Who's covering this? It was basically yourself and Mike Rothschild and nobody from, like, like the major networks or, like, sort of the big newspapers or anything like that. It was like this weird little fringe thing that a uh, hand handful of people really cared about. So I'm curious what made you realize that QAnon was something that has significance and was like being part of the American political landscape in a big way. Because, you know, when you cover like extremism or internet weirdness, there's this, uh, there's these moral quandaries because if you do cover it, there's this risk that you're helping amplify or making a mountain of, of a molehill. But if you don't cover it, then there's a risk that you're allowing something significant to grow and thrive in darkness. So what made you realize that this was more than just a weird internet thing? Yeah, I mean, Travis, I think that's a great point. Um, You know, people still to this day will say, why are you writing about QAnon? You're only helping them. And it's like, you know, people who are getting into QAnon, they're they're following like Jordan Sather and Dustin Nemos. They're not they're not getting the, you know, what's Will Summer got to say? (laughs) Um, But for me, I mean, it's when stuff goes offline. Um, You know, the moment for me, I think was uh, April 2018, there was a march in DC. And I've been covering QAnon for a few months, and a couple hundred people showed up and started chanting where we go on, we go all. And I thought, this is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. But 
surely it won't go further than this. And then a couple months after that, the the guy blocked, uh, you know, the bridge by the Hoover Dam with a bunch of guns. And he was saying, you know, Q, what's going on? You know, where's the IG report? And I thought, you know, these are my internet buddies. What what is going on here? Uh, And so that, that, you know, at that point, I think as weird as it is, you know, you kind of owe it to the the readership and and to, you know, the American public more broadly to accept that they, uh, you know, they're big kids and they can handle knowing uh, this freaky thing that's going on. What was your first sort of introduction to, you know, that you saw that this thing was kind of like seeping out uh, that even prompted you to cover it in the first place? Because for me, it was it was noticing that the posters in our conspiracy on Reddit were mentioning more and more and more mentioning this this guy called Q and that there was this, uh, you know, there was this secret operation and stuff. I mean, was it was it more the same for you or how did it first like come on your radar initially? Yeah, well, initially it was cruising 4chan and seeing <laughs> cruising is maybe not the right word, but you know the uh, just seeing these, you know the yeah the, yeah, you, yeah you had a red handkerchief in your back pocket yeah <laughs> yeah cruising USA <laughs> yes I'm I'm into uh, I'm into groipers that that was what it meant. Um, the, the, seeing these recurring threads they would have with the big lion and it would say, uh, you know, the storm, calm before the storm. And then, you know, it's kind of one of these things where I feel like this is a lot of the way with these conspiracy theories, they're kind of like in your peripheral vision and then you see them enough and you go, okay, what is the deal with this? And in my case that happened, uh, you know, after a couple months of Q sort of bubbling up and then, you know, once you see it and once I started seeing, you know, broader conservative influencers on Twitter, just saying, you know, hashtag where we go on, we go all or the storm and sort of alluding to Q, um, including a lot of people now who wouldn't be caught dead saying they're QAnon people, uh, but who were just sort of casually using QAnon hashtags. Uh, if you look on like LexisNexis back in early 2018, people who kind of got in early um, and, you know, it's just crazy how at every step I kept thinking, all right, this is the high watermark for QAnon. This is it. And then, you know, a couple years later, I was at January 6th and they had the giant Q signs and they were like, God, we got to kill Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Covering QAnon for me, at least, has always been this feeling of like waiting for the adults to intervene. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is this has gone on far enough. There's going to be somebody to step in and sort of like understand this and fix it. But no, that just this didn't, didn't work like that. Well, you know, Travis, you might have, I think maybe I'm, I'm stealing this metaphor from you, but I do feel like there was a feeling that people like like us covering this for so long that the adults would arrive and I would say, okay, here it is, and kind of hand it off and say, okay, here's here's what I got on them, and I'll let you handle it. And really, that, that moment never happened, and it still hasn't. Yeah, you're just standing with like, uh, you know, a couple of legal pads, you know, filled to the brim, you know, arm outstretched, waiting, waiting for s- somebody to come and, and take me and go, thank you very much, Will, for all this work you're doing. We've got it from here. And you go, oh, great. Great, I can go back to my normal life. Uh, but that happened for none of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, we are we are locked in a Guantanamo Bay of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of won, I guess. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, it's if you had said to me even in 2019 that in 2023, Donald Trump would be posting Q pictures on Truth Social and, you know, oh, I am the storm. Even then, I never would have believed it. But, you know, he's he's really getting into QAnon now. And I think it's it's really only going to ramp up. I mean, obviously, he's getting ready to call Ron DeSantis a pedo. And, you know, that's what we have. We're locked in for. I know. He's like, yeah, no, I'm not. I would never do anti-Italian sentiment by calling him Meatball Ron. <laughs> Anyways, he molests children. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it always made sense to me, though, that that Trump would, you know, he would always end up here because, you know, as you've seen with other sort of politicians, as they slowly, slowly fall out of mainstream favor, you know, they're getting dogged on by by cable news. Uh, you know, all you're left with is the most fervent sort of supporters and the yeah. people who believe that you are like the hero in this, you, you know, huge action espionage movie. And so, you know, as you alienate everybody else, I mean, it, it's it's what also happens to your average sort of QAnon believer. As, as you alienate everybody else in your life, all that's left for you with waiting with open arms, ready to tell you that you're good, you're good, you're good, are, you know, the, you know, QAnon believers. Well, you know, you think about um, in 2018 after the, the all the Q people flocked to that one rally in Florida and it sort of was a big breakout moment for QAnon. Then they banned Q gear at the rallies and they're kind of like, look, why don't you just don't scare the suburban voters? Just get away from the cameras. And then now they're playing the QAnon song at the rallies and everything. I mean, it, it, it's uh, you, you can definitely see him warming up to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about the Republican Party's relationship with QAnon because you talk about some of this in the book. Because, you know, again, early in its development, I thought that there, there would be like a hard limit on the degree of political sway that the QAnon community could have. I thought that, you know, the Republican Party's tolerance for conspiracy theories wouldn't extend to the belief that a Chan poster is sending coded messages about secret military activity. But as you point out in the book, uh, Republicans learned to at least make space for QAnon followers. This is dating back to the Tampa Trump rally in 2018. You write this passage, which I thought was interesting. QAnon's Trump rally debut was a disaster for Republicans looking to win over moderate voters. A few days before the rally, a Florida Republican observer had complained to a local website that the increasingly visible presence of Q believers in the state meant the Florida GOP was becoming seen as the party of QAnon. And that was before dozens of followers stole the show at a rally ostensibly meant to promote Republican candidates, not Q. For Trump allies, the smartest response to the party's newest faction had been to stay quiet. Florida politician Ron DeSantis pioneered this response after QAnon believers crashed the Trump rally in Tampa that was meant to promote DeSantis's campaign for the governor's mansion. A few weeks after the Tampa rally, DeSantis claimed ignorance about the Q-emblazoned rallygoers that appeared there and at many of his other events. I'm not sure what that is, <laughs> DeSantis told a reporter. For Republican officials, maintaining a polite distance from Q had some benefits. It meant they wouldn't come off like lunatics to voters not already soaked in 4chan mind games, but it also meant that Q supporters wouldn't be antagonized either. So what do you make of like the way that Republican officials have like handled QAnon voters over the years? Like obviously they like you say, like they have to like strike this really careful balance between like not, you know, overtly encouraging them and not alienating them. Sure. I mean, so, you know, like I say in that passage, I mean, really, they they did this thing where they said, okay, we're just gonna pretend QAnon doesn't exist, or that this is sort of a handful of of nuts that but we're not going to say that, but you know, that we can safely ignore. Um, there's a there's a moment in the book where I talk about how Kevin McCarthy initially says, you know, oh, QAnon is obviously BS, don't worry about it. Like, you know, it's just crazy stuff. And then as QAnon gets more prominent uh, in the party, he goes, he's asked about it later. and He says, I've never even heard of that thing. What is it? QAnon? You know, this is ridiculous. So, you know, know, he, he, he 
he really changes his tune. And, you know, especially when it comes to someone like Donald Trump or uh, someone like Michael Flynn, people who have really actively encouraged QAnon, uh, and then have this kind of attempt at plausible deniability where they say, you know, what, what are you even talking about? You know, in the case of Michael Flynn, a guy holding up Q quilts at, at rallies and, and doing the where we go one, we go all slogan. And now he says, no, that's just a slogan of family unity. You know, the, the, these guys are, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it has practical effects in which QAnon believers and potential recruits see that and they say, well, you know, Donald Trump would just say this is a lie if, if it is. And, and then they get deeper into it. Yeah, what's really interesting is it's like it's usually the other thing, the other way around with with sort of, you know, popular culture trends. You know, at first somebody will say like, oh, yeah, I've like, yeah, I've never heard I, I've never heard of that thing. And then as it gets more popular and somebody asks them about it, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know what QAnon is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But this it's like it, when it was in its sort of initial stages, they're like, oh, yeah, we know about that. It's it's nothing to worry about. And then when it becomes you know massively popular, it's like, I, I, well, I have no idea what that is. It's just yeah. really interesting. Just like many other sort of behaviors around around this phenomenon, it's it, it, it's like it, it, you find you find it the reverse of like what you know the sort of like logical step would be. Now you have a really fascinating chapter on Austin Steinbart, who's sometimes called um, Baby Q. And for those who are just joining us, Austin Steinbart is an Arizona man who claims to be Q from the future. He's one of the weirdest QAnon influencers out there, and he seemed to emerge from nowhere, but he had like. A lot of this financial ba- backing that allows him to have his own compound and this professional media studio. Uh, Will, in your book, you published some really fascinating reporting about his background and the activity at The Ranch, which is what they call his, uh, his place, where he and his most devoted followers lived. So how what's his deal, man? This is, he was always <laughs> confusing to me. Yeah, you're like one of a few people, like maybe the only person I know personally who's actually sat down and like talked to this guy. Like, yeah, what what's your sort of just general vibe about him? It's so weird. It's so weird. I mean, he really is one of the, you know, I, I would rank him up there with Vincent Fusca as sort of one of the great, bizarre QAnon characters. <laughs> you know, I, I got it. I've been tracking him for a while, um, as I, I know y'all had as well, because he was so weird and like uniquely odd, because unlike other QAnon influencers who say I'm interpreting Q's clues or whatever, he said, oh yeah, I'm Q. And future me is Q and he's sending messages back in time. And so he was baby Q. And he managed to get this compound going um, even as he was flagrantly violating the law as sort of to prove that he was above the law. So he he was in this medical clinic and he videotaped a bunch of football players brain scans for CTE and very bizarre crimes. And he would do extortion against various websites. Uh, And then at one point, the FBI came to his door and he said oh yeah like i love doing crimes yeah i threatened to murder the queen of denmark and all this stuff and so as all this is happening uh i get a call from a woman whose sister has been sucked into the the compound and she says you know can you get my sister out um and you know obviously i'm totally unqualified to do that but but i think it's it's a sign of you know the this desperation these families face when their relatives are sucked into QAnon that this woman would just say I guess I I don't know this guy wrote the one article about baby Q I guess maybe he can help and so ultimately I go out there and interview him and he was kind of on this post-prison kick where he was like now a young Republican and he was running a congressional campaign Um, he was hanging out with the CEO of Overstock.com and and he was like an official in the Arizona audit and he gave this speech to some state senators it was very bizarre and this guy who was just like yeah I'm baby Q but but, you know I'm trying to make QAnon for everyone and and, you know we're going to have this very kind of family friendly QAnon just a really bizarre experience uh, meeting his acolytes who you know are convinced that he's going to run the Space Force. Yeah, not to mention that he has never backed away from his claim uh, that he is from the future. 
<laughs> like, okay, yeah, bizarre enough. He, yeah, we he, this young guy is doing weird crimes. He's videotaping, uh, you know, highly uh, personal information. You know, while he himself is at a clinic for, you know, whatever reasons, he's starting all of these different podcasts with young, you know, young millennials, and it, it, yeah, it looks like a like a gaming podcast, but they're talking about rabbit holes. And on top of all of this, it's like he's he claims that he's from the future and that Q is actually like a a, a quantum operation. It's so bizarre. Yeah, I think the best part is definitely being like, "Save me, Will. Could you could you look into this?" And he looks into it, and he he, he walks away, and he's like, "Oh, he's wearing a fake penis." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. So, so you know, I, I don't think all this made it in the book, but so at one point, you know, he's out on house arrest and he's living with with the members of the alleged cult, and he's he's not supposed to be drinking or 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 smoking weed, and he's doing that very intensely. And so, some people in the compound start to get a little, they kind of start falling out. And in these moments of alienation, he's supposed to have a, a cold storage uh, Bitcoin worth billions of dollars uh, on a hard drive, and then one of these guys is like, you know, this guy in his forties who's fallen for this and he starts going wait a minute austin never pays for the beer <laughs> you know he always makes me buy the six pack this guy's <laughs> supposed to be a billionaire and wait so a minute he starts digging into it and he gets a little suspicious and as best i can tell one of them reports him to probation and so the cops sweep in and they find this prosthetic penis he's using to cheat drug tests and i report that it's a whizinator because that's what the court <laughs> record said and when i was hanging out with him and the gang they were like oh no it, it wasn't a whizinator it was you know like the the donginator like some other kind of fake oh, uh, an penis. off brand <laughs> <laughs> yes yes they, they said oh that that was all fake news and i said oh did he not have a fake penis i was like no it, it was the wrong brand <laughs> yeah that's like that's the 59.99 one austin he's got the 160 fake dong uh yeah, yeah the stream comes out much more realistically no, but what's so funny about this i didn't know that about about the you know that that it was his own sort of uh you know followers that 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 dropped dime on him you know it similar thing uh kind of fucked over uh hunter s thompson with the hell's angels was him not buying the beer uh so yet yet again uh you know Ladies and gentlemen, buy pay, buy pay your beer. beers. Pay for the beer. Pay for the beer. Folks, you got to pay for the pay beer. for the beer. Don't go to jail. That's just how you, how you stay on with uh, these kind of weird groups out in the out in the American West. Um, I mean, he really the the compound. You know, the story's getting good when I'm ripping YouTube videos for the future documentary. I, I was just kind of storing them away, and the um, all these recriminations start, and so Austin ends up in jail, and he's denouncing members from the jail payphone, and then they're saying, you know, I, my buddy in the compound who I was working with, uh, you know, who's kind of keeping me up to date on things. He's saying, you know, oh, I I just I, I just need one more moment with Austin to convince him that I'm not a snitch and stuff i mean it was very it, it, things really went off the rails bizarre i've never had anybody like me that much <laughs> well you know that it's like hey man just one more call with you let me let me just like prove my loyalty to him like that's insane that he has such a dedicated you know dedicating and then also suspicious and traitorous following i guess as well <laughs> Well, you know, he claimed they were setting up secret cameras to sort of record him drinking beers. I mean, there seems to be a lot of evidence of that. You know, I think I say this in the book that I, I sort of didn't get the appeal. You know, the, the, the rock charisma was not uh, working on me. Yeah. Well, you're also, you know, I mean, you don't really believe that he's from the future. I mean, if you well, believed in time travel legitimately, Will, as I do, um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe his his glamouring would have, you know, worked a little bit better. <laughs> or glimmering? What do they call it with the vampires? I think a glamour, yeah. A glamour, yeah. So I have two questions about Steinbart. Number one, 
where did all of his money come from? Because when I see his videos, he has the slickest setup, the coolest monitors. Like he has, he seems like he has a lot of cash to throw around for equipment and stuff. And uh, number two, where are all these people who are like making content for him? Somehow he's able to gather people who make these weird little podcasts in which, you know, they call uh, Austin Steinbart's detractors Philistines. Uh, Pharisees, Pharisees. Uh, yes, oh, oh, the right, Q right, Pharisees. Pardon me, pardon me. Fair, yes, Pharisees. And uh, and they seem, they I don't know, it's like, are they paid? I keep puzzling it out. It's like, are these people like paid actors or something? What the hell is going on? So yeah, those that's those what I really want to know about this guy. Travis. That I, I hate to, sadly, I must report they are not paid actors. <laughs> I oh, wish, dear. I wish. Yeah. No, they were, they were, you know, they were living in this compound and they had, they had like, they rented a studio, like a high rise studio in downtown Phoenix. I mean, it looked, they had better production values than I think some local TV stations. I mean, it looked, it, you know, they had all these shows. There was like the millennial baby Q show where they would drink right. white claws and say, you know, uh, you know, here's the tea on the Q Pharisees. And, you know, that it, it was very bizarre as far as where the money comes from, you know, one of these guys I was talking to, he said, oh, yeah, I donated 50 grand. So, <gasps> you know, and, and I asked Austin, I said, is that true? And this is the guy that he banished and said, you know, you have to break up with your fiance because she's an agent for the NSA or something. And I said, you know, so this guy says he gave you 50 grand. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. Oh, my God. And 50 grand wasn't enough for him to go. You know what? I'm just going to hold back on the telling him that his wife is or his fiance is like, a, yeah, is is a undercover agent because maybe there's another 50 grand where that came from. But amazing to me that maybe the guy who, you know, donated, you know, an insane amount of money, he's very quick to just banish. And, and you know, it's yeah, it's, it's I mean, he's not exactly careful. The guy that's yeah, why he ended yeah, up in jail. True. Yeah, yeah, it's true. He is insanely haphazard. I think that's why we never really entertained the idea that it could be a full blown cult uh, is just because he's so such a mess and he looks so young and his mannerisms just don't they don't he doesn't have the Keith Ranieri he doesn't have the it thing <laughs> well you know his first videos he's wearing this backwards baseball cap I mean he looks like he's going to be giving me a uh, call of duty tips you know, yeah totally well, and that's what I always thought that the the sort of the podcasters were because they were, you know, relatively young, attractive people. I thought for sure I was like, OK, these are struggling actors. Uh, you know, they they answered, a, a, you know, an open casting call. You know, they they need the work. They're not necessarily aware that it's tied to QAnon. They just know they're doing some cool kind of popular culture conspiracy uh, sort of show. That was always what I thought. But but you're saying that, that, that they're all sort of folded into his live in uh, believers or or cult, as you said. Yeah, I mean, they were all into it. I mean, you know, it's it gets so bizarre. I mean, you said he's not careful. I mean, he when the FBI knocks on his door, he's carrying a Desert Eagle handgun and he's like, yo, what's up? Like, I got landmines in the yard. <laughs> I said, what? And then he they come in and he, he, they said, OK, so the, the issue is you've been putting out all these brain scans. And he says, well, yeah, get what else I'm doing. I smuggled drugs across the border because <laughs> uh, I, I can't be arrested. And the FBI goes, and this is, you know, a, uh, <laughs> an African-American guy tweeted this. I mean, he said, man, I would have been arrested immediately and so instead the fbi just goes okay well we'll be seeing you later <laughs> a fucking deagle this, what what is going on comes to the door with a deagle says their landmine says i can never be arrested i mean okay here's a here's a here's a question here's a question i have for you will Based on your interaction with him and the research that you've done in your reporting and and also in the book, I mean, do you think that Austin is a true believer? Does he really believe that he comes from the future 
or is this like a bit or is there you know mental mental illness in oh, play that, like it's, uh, well i i think there's there's a solid amount of mental illness or like some kind of just crazy personality issue i mean he ends up at this brain scan clinic because his mother according to the court records sent him there i mean you know he he heavily disagrees with that but yeah. you know it, as i say in the book it it doesn't seem to be an accident that this coincides with right around when he starts saying i'm q from the future and you know but he's nevertheless just sort of from the force of his personality uh able to sweep up all of these sort of disaffected q and believers um, and, you know, I, I really uh, get into the, the sort of the factionalism of the, the Q saga. I call up Dustin Nemos to say, you know, what's the what's the deal with Austin Steinbart? And he says, oh, you know, that scumbag, you know, I, I'm fascinated by him. And so just sort of the, the factionalism and the, the idea that uh, in QAnon, everyone's always going, now that guy is making us look ridiculous. This is a serious operation we're running. Well, speaking of QAnon influencers, you talk about another once pretty big one uh, in your book who goes by the name of Neon Revolt. Now, Neon Revolt has a special place in my heart for a couple reasons. Number one, he, he is he is someone who reacted to our podcast and kind of trolled us when we were just starting. We were very excited to get the attention of people who were like promoting QAnon. But he also, he's, he's a guy who's interesting. Before my name was published in the Washington Post, he actually researched me and discovered my name and my backstory in an attempt to figure out if I was like intelligence or not. And he wound up not publishing my name because he figured i was just a regular guy and that was who he I had more discretion than the post yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i remember yeah, that, that blog post travis where he said yeah i figured out who he is he's got a kid he's pretty boring i'm not gonna dox him it was very nice i'll say that um so i can't praise anything else he's done but that that was very nice of him but you, uh, but you, you learned some interesting facts about really how his, um, how he came to QAnon, and uh, well, and how his like struggles as a screenwriter sort of led him there. I mean, he also talks about this openly in his book. Yeah, I mean, so this is Neon Revolt. Uh, he's kind of off the scene now, uh, but back in the day, I mean, he was, I would say, easily like a top five QAnon promoter. Um, yeah. And his his book just laid out in such a fascinating way how he came to this, you know, lowly station in life. I mean, he, the folks that logically figured out his real name, and this guy's named Robert Cornero. And essentially, he was a failed screenwriter who became convinced that Hollywood was biased against him because he was a white man. Um, and he moved back in with his folks in New Jersey and started he was obsessed he was really he was a, a freezer clerk at the grocery store and he lost I mean he really his life had hit the skids I mean he lost the freezer position and was furious about it he had an online girlfriend in Canada whose dad made her break up with him and then he discovers QAnon and then he says well you know now I can get kind of get revenge on people in Hollywood who wronged me and so he turns his mob on this Hollywood executive who cre who's kind of a this guy named Franklin Leonard who's kind of a big power player there and so suddenly this Franklin Leonard guy is like, wait, why is this random guy saying I'm the king pedo of Hollywood and all this? Um, and he's running like a three-part series on how I work for the cabal. And so once his real identity came out, I, I just thought it was a fascinating way to look into the inside of a QAnon promoter sort of picking his targets and getting his personal grievances out through the movement. I, I can actually relate to that on on some level. I was t talking about this with Julian the other day. Is that you know I was a struggling screenwriter, uh, you know before you know before the podcast. I Julian and I had a different podcast that wasn't going anywhere, but. And, you know, I mean, people who listen to the show know my story. You know, I started to kind of flirt with QAnon and get into that. That's how we ended up starting the show is was trying to decipher, you know, if, if there was any truth to it and why were people, you know, uh, radicalizing so quickly to this. And I will say that there is something about the just the very difficult nature of, of breaking into the business that I, I think does 
prime people for this kind of internal anger and and not wanting it to be your fault because in a lot of ways it isn't it's you know a lot of it is luck a lot of it is connections a lot of it is who you come from are you connected to people in the in the uh entertainment industry and so when i when i found out that neon that this was neon revolts past you know i i can relate a little bit because you know i was in a very similar position and, you know, had I not had good friends who had good politics and were able to explain uh, the sort of landscape of, of, you know, our current political situation in a way that allowed for the grievances that I had, but also offered a, a non-fascistic solution, I could have easily gone down that other path. And so I, I think that's, that's important context uh, to add here when talking about failed actors, failed models, failed screenwriters. You know, we find out that a lot of these influencers came from, you know, sort of um, unsatisfactory careers in the entertainment industry. You know, I think that's a great point, Jake. As you said, I mean, you guys have talked a lot about these, um, you know, failed entertainers who sort of reinvent themselves as QAnon figures. And I think in the case of Neon Revolt, you can really see where QAnon gives this guy uh, status that he would never have had in, in real life. I mean, right. he... One notable thing I think about him is that most QAnon leaders cannot write worth anything. I mean, and there's a reason there aren't yeah. really that many blogs about QAnon and many more YouTube shows and what what have you. And he was the only guy who could really string together a sentence. And so because, of, you know, the screenwriting background. And so in that way, he's able to sort of get an acclaim for his writing that, that he was not in the real world. And so much of, especially in the early days of QAnon, when it really was less about the satanic panic and less sort of religious, you know, less less religious vibes, uh, less, you know, it felt more, it was more in that sort of Tom Clancy behind the scenes sort of espionage novel. I mean, that's something that a, you know, an aspiring screenwriter can really play with. There's there's a lot there. And, and it makes sense to me that instead of making YouTube videos, instead of trying to, you know, be an on-screen personality he went to the thing that he believed was his his strength was was this writing and and it became very popular yeah, he even ended up uh, writing a sequel to Human Centipede. He did. That's true. That is <laughs> that's, true. That's true. Yeah, he called it the Q-Man Centipede. No, well, no. What what he did was, he, you know this, Will. I, he made an image oh, um, of like all the sort of like QAnon reporters, like myself and uh, Mike Rothschild and you, and uh, I think Alex at Media Matters was also there, sort of like tied together Human Centipede style. So um, yeah, honestly, yeah. like the nicest, like most. <laughs> mild mannered like people in the business which which is so which is so funny you can't you couldn't find two nicer guys than will and travis and yeah, yeah but that's, and, that's and who Alex, ends up that's who ends that's up who in the human ends up in the q man <laughs> the <centipede>. nice guys <laughs> The nice guys end up there. I did not make it there because he's like, no, of course that guy, that guy has he too would... much gumption to get his uh, uh, <laughs> lips uh, sewn to someone's asshole. <laughs> On a recent episode, we discussed the film Plandemic 3 by Mickey Willis, uh, which is, of course, the second sequel to the mega viral anti-vaccine film Plandemic. Now, I don't know how many people know this, but the QAnon community was essential to making that film as successful as it was. So how did that happen? Sure. I mean, so Plandemic was, you know, cooked up by, uh, as you say, Mickey Willis, who was sort of a crunchy, alternative wellness uh, kind of conspiracy theory guy in California, who, of course, hooks up with Judy Mikovits, a, a doctor with uh, plenty of access to grind against Anthony Fauci and sort of a one-sided feud. But really, QAnon is what 
blew that up and, and made it so much bigger than really than than just be the QAnon community. Um, this guy named Zach Voorhees, who is a James O'Keefe whistleblower, I believe at Google, who actually wrote a story quickly after he emerged as a whistleblower about all his QAnon beliefs. He was spreading the word among QAnon communities on Facebook saying, oh man, you know, th- this video's cooking, we got to make this huge. Uh, and then, you know, people after a pandemic exploded and really was sort of a foundational document of the kind of counter narrative to the, the coronavirus uh, science. Uh, you know, people look back at it and say, yeah, I mean, the, these kind of hyper-connected QAnon communities online were what exploded this uh, and made this such as kind of a viral phenomenon. Well, and, and and that makes sense, right? Because QAnon, you know, at least from my perspective, they're waiting for a big event. You know, they don't necessarily know what it is, but they're told that some big event is going to take place. There, there's going to be some, some kind of international or national conversation. And COVID, you know, was a big event. It was a serious change. There were, uh, you know, our way of life was interrupted and there were all sorts of new rules and precautions and there was information coming out so fast that sometimes people would get stuff wrong or, you know, uh, information would change, uh, practices would change. And so if you're already in this mindset waiting for for some kind of, you know, event to happen um, and then and then you're faced with COVID, it's really easy, I think, to make that jump and go, this is okay, well, this is part of something. Not exactly sure what, but I've been waiting for the, it's, it's like in, uh, you know, it's like Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters, you know, running around, mm. running around the city, okay. you know, oh, we're waiting for the sign, <laughs> you know, have you seen the key master, you know, they're, they're like waiting for this big thing. And I think that uh-huh. COVID was, you know, became that. And so, of course, there was going to be content and uh, alternate explanations thrown around as to what was really happening. Because even for somebody who's not a conspiracy theorist, something like a, a pandemic that we never, ever thought that we were going to have to uh, experience in our lifetime, all of a sudden happens and it's real and and it's affecting your life i mean that it's hard to grapple with Absolutely. I mean, you know, the the pandemic was just huge for QAnon. You know, people have all this time online. There really right. was really weird stuff happening in the world that you know yes. was not. Uh, oh, I think there's like a weird light off the off the coast. Maybe they tried to shoot down Air Force One. I mean, these things that you could ignore. I mean, instead, in the case of the pandemic, I mean, it's something everyone had to grapple with. And you know, I think for a lot of people, QAnon offered a chance to to have some sort of control because you know it yes. wasn't about like weird trades in China or some, something going down over there, and somehow now you're out of a job. But it was you know here are five guys that we can blame for this. Yeah. You also discuss uh, attending Clay Clark's Health yeah. and Freedom Conference <laughs> back in the spring of 2021. So, I mean, the way you describe it, it seems as though the crowd was hoping to hear more QAnon messages than were actually delivered. So what did you learn during that trip? Sure. So Clay Clark, you know, I, I have to say, I think I was maybe I was right on the ground floor of the Reawaken America tour, which now has swept America and, you know, been the accused as the site of an anthrax attack, uh, when in fact, everyone just got COVID. So yeah, I, I traveled out there to Tulsa in 2021. They said they were going to have heavy security to keep out media and Antifa, but I managed to get in. And it was so obvious that everyone was just really primed for QAnon. I mean, they had, you know, they had a bunch of QAnon influencers. And this is where uh, Jim Caviezel gets up and he says, you know, I got to tell you all about Adrenochrome. And everyone goes, ah! And then Lynn Wood just gives him a barn burner. This is before Lynn Wood really went off the rails. Uh, And he said, you know, they're abusing children. Tell it to George Soros. Tell the House of Windsor we're coming for them. And people were just on their feet losing it. 
Yeah, because it's one thing to hear it from, you know, anonymous internet source and to discuss it in various, you know, internet quote unquote research groups. But when you have a huge celebrity like Jim Caviezel, especially in this crowd, because this guy played Jesus, you know, and you've got Lynn Wood and they're on a stage, you know, it, it's it's not coming out of your computer anymore. It's it's on a stage. These are people of authority that are echoing this thing that you have believed in for, you know, a year or two years years at this point. I mean, it's a much different vibe. It's a validation and, you know, it makes perfect sense why, you know, bringing it off of the computer, you know, was so effective. I mean, it was thousands of people and they were just, I mean, really they were about to, they were ready to like roll out. If Lynn Wood had said, you know, okay, let's go get them. You know, they would have done it. Next Sunday at the Royal Rumble, the House of Windsor is going down. They're going to feel the pain. (laughs) Well, and I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, what you're describing um, when you when you look at January 6th through that angle, it makes a lot more sense. If you have a group of people that is just foaming at the mouth and ready to do anything, to do something, to wait for, you know, their the people that they they trust and their authority figures and people that they just like, you know, waiting to waiting for instructions, you know, there gets to a point where you can only trust the plan for so long. And and I think that that is, you know, for all of us who've been researching this for so long, I think that, you know, it, it, that's that's a weird part to see is that that shift from trusting the plan to, you know, we, we are the plan. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, when you tell people, you know, the most powerful people in the world are doing these heinous crimes to children and no one's going to do anything about it, the cops don't care, etc. Maybe they're in on it. And so suddenly it's, you know, someone's going to believe that. And then maybe it's not such a surprise that someone busts into Comet Ping Pong with a gun or, uh, you know, murders yeah. a mafia boss or all these different things that kind of go haywire when uh, people really believe in it. I mean, you have these other like weird details, stuff like uh, Bill Gates's company uh, has been doing uh, vaccine research for for, you know, over a decade. And they had run trial, you, you know, sort of like a, a practice events to prepare for a pandemic, you know, things that, you know, when you're when you don't have a conspiracy, you know, sort of outlook of the world, you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he's in tech. He's yeah. he's he's in, you know, the, the health industry. You know, he's, he's involved in all of that. Sure. It would make sense that they would run a drill for, you know, something like this. I mean, this isn't the first time that you we've had like really powerful viruses out in the world. You know, you know, there was, you know, swine flu and the b- bird flu and all of this stuff. It makes sense that they would be running drills for this. But when you're told that Bill Gates is, is one of the main enemies and then you find out this information, you go, oh, well, it all makes sense. You know? Yeah. I like that you just called it the pandemic. Our brains are so cooked. <laughs> what did I, what did I, I said pandemic? Yeah. You said that like Bill Gates, they did a simulated pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's I mean, in that, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're looking, well, uh, that is what the few people believe. Yeah, Yeah, they they were like, I mean, it is very funny when you watch it because it has super high production values, and they are very, you know, if you once you've experienced the pandemic, you go back and you look at that stuff, and it it does seem like they're talking exactly about the situation we we be we came to be in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. you know, it's sort of once you have this, you know, and throughout the book, I, I talk about this, like once you have this kind of conspiratorial mindset or that, that lens over everything you see, I mean, suddenly, you know, stuff starts popping off everywhere and, and, you know, the world makes sense in kind of a twisted way. Yeah. And that reinforces your own belief because now all of, all of a sudden these things that didn't make sense before are making sense. And you believe that that's because you have insider information and you understand it better than, than maybe your neighbor or your brother or, you know, your spouse or all this stuff. So it is this kind of self-validating theory that it's not going to steer you away from conspiracy theories. It's going to 
push you deeper and deeper uh, down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of fun for a while, honestly. I mean, you know, the sure. idea that, you know, I, I think a lot about this interview someone did with some QAnon people who said, like, you know, I get the news before everyone else, or, you know, I understand what's going right. on in the world. So, you know, your neighbor says, oh, you see that Chinese balloon? And you go, what a simpleton, doesn't he know? Yeah, doesn't he know? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and you feel good because life right now is, you know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to decipher. Some things seem unexplainable. It, it, some things just don't make sense. I think that's the it uncomfortable makes zero rea- sense. That's the uncomfortable reality that we live in. And so to none ha- of this makes sense. And so to have that <laughs> to have that little piece that goes, well, I actually do know what's going on. You know, that's a good feeling for a lot of people. I want that. I don't have that anymore. I used to. Nothing's fun anymore. Yeah, we kind of ruined it. For I used you. to love. I used to love conspiracy theories. <laughs> I was going to say, Jake, I mean, yeah, you know the, you know how fun it can be. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to put myself back in the headspace that I was in, you know, towards the end of 2017 into 2018. And yeah, I mean, that, that really is what, what it was, was this idea that I had this idea. You, you, you had secret knowledge had about secret- Hillary's arrest. I had secret knowledge, and I was finding, whether it was through self-fulfilling prophecy or not, that my conspiratorial mindset would ha- had me more prepared than the next person. A perfect example is um, I was working with this woman, and we were writing a script together, and this was kind of in the, the rumblings of the beginning of COVID. This was like towards the end of 2019 going into sort of like January of 2020, and is that right? Is that when March of 2020 was like the first lockdowns, yeah. right? Okay. So, and she, she, she kind of offhandedly said, you know, I spoke to, uh, yeah, I have a friend who works at NASA and she told me uh, not to get on a plane. And I took that information. I went, well, if somebody at NASA is, you know, saying not to get on a plane, they must know something that we don't. And so me and my, uh, you know, fiance at the time uh, went to Target and we were the people that had all the, you know, we had loading up on toilet paper, a big bucket of uh, hand sanitizer. And this was way before people rushed the the grocery stores and the department stores to, you know, stock up on supplies. And so then when that when when that first lockdown hit and we were stocked, I went, wow, my conspiratorial mindset is what left us prepared. Yeah. Little did you know at the time that like a couple years from then you would basically gladly trade catching Corona just to go watch a band like Pup. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we all get broke down, and I'll tell you this: uh, if any member, if any members of the band Pup are listening, <laughs> no. it was fucking worth it. It was worth no, it. No, that no. is one of the best shows I have ever seen oh, in man. my life. Travis is gonna have to do like two or three more like coronavirus conspiracy theory episodes to compensate for what you just did. <laughs> that, that that rant that I just did is just going to be filled with bleeps like uh, uh, the members of boop if you're listening that was the boop show i boop all right travis get us back on will you devote an early chapter of your book to the question of who is behind the QAnon persona which appeared on 4chan 8chan and later on 8coon after 8chan went offline now we of course talked a lot about this on the show and uh, the question was thoroughly explored on Colin Hoback's docuseries Q into the Storm and what's kind of emerged from everyone's investigations is like what I call like the conventional theory of QAnon's uh, persona so this posits that Q was possibly started by some trolls or LARPers on 4chan Chan. It was later picked up and controlled by uh, Paul Ferber. And then when Q moved to 8chan, it was hijacked or taken over by Ron and or Jim Watkins, who was the um, admin and owner of 8chan. Now, I should note that Ferber and both Ron and Jim Watkins have all denied being Q. In fact, Jim Watkins denied being Q when he was deposed by Congress. 
And, you know, even if that whole story is correct, I kind of doubt it's the whole story. I mean, there's still like, there's still the question of like, for example, who wrote all of those Q drops? There are over 4,000 of them. Obviously they didn't write all of them, I don't think. And uh, there's also the question of like the people who promoted QAnon off the chance, you know, Tracy Diaz, who is, you know, one of the first QTubers and that sort of thing. Patriot Soapbox, uh, uh, entities like that. Pamphlet, all, all these yeah, classic yeah. characters. Yes, Pamphlet, Anon, yeah. So... But for like for, for people who are who are like constrained by journalistic standards of evidence, that's the basic sort of like outline of like you know the theory that people have landed on. So, what was your experience like attempting to like unmask Q, which is you know kind of a rabbit hole in itself? Yeah, I mean, so before um, in in 2018, I, I I made my kind of first stab at trying to figure out who was behind Q, and I went through a lot of the you know the evidence that uh, you know, pamphlet Anon was running it that you know there would be these videos where he would appear to be logged into the Q account and these kind of things, and honestly, I. Went Went nuts. Um, I took a couple days, you know, I didn't go into the office for a couple days. I just kind of like started laying it all out in my living room and my wife came home and I was just like, don't you see, like follow the money, you know, it all makes sense. Um, yeah. But ultimately, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't nail it down. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the Colin Hoback thing uh, laid out, um, you know, in the book, I'd say is pretty much, you know, I think the most compelling evidence we have. Uh, although, as you say, I mean, kind of the key players all deny it. You know, I, I sort of wish you, hearing you, you recount this, I, I wish someone would kind of cook up a, a new one that was a little more, that was uh, equal is compelling because because you know I, I think it's time to kind of freshen up the uh, the backstory there you know it was tempting to kind of find my own cue for the book and kind of make my own uh, counter argument but uh, as you say I mean when you when you actually have to stick with what's out there and, and what's provable I think that's the that's the strongest stuff but it really you can get lost you kind of I kind of had my own kind of cue like moment uh, obsessing over that yes many unnamed people have been lost. <laughs> It's almost like a yeah smaller version of the uh, pro Q conspiracy theories are the anti Q conspiracy theories, which you know obviously we're not going to get into, but it is fascinating that I think everybody was essentially waiting to put together a conspiracy theory. People are hungry for this, and you know that that kind of demand on the market has like you know obviously uh, many people have set up stand and and started offering product. And, and often it's, you know, it's people who are kind of doing retreads of stuff everyone else has already discarded, where it's like, yes, I understand that story. You know, we, we kind of went through it and, and it doesn't hold up. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know, understand what goes on behind the scenes, especially if you work for a journalistic outlet that has all sorts of resources, uh, you know, at your disposal, fact checkers and, uh, you know, the proper education to go through and sift out, you know, what what is real evidence and what what is circumstantial. But my, my question for you is maybe kind of a personal one. When you found yourself kind of, you know, like you said, you had, you know, papers strewn out all over. I mean, I imagine your wife comes home to the, you know, the always sunny in Philadelphia yeah. meme of you standing in front of a corkboard going, look, look, babe, d don't you see who it is? You know, what what was it that allowed you to kind of step back from from that and and sort of, you know, refocus and kind of kind of admit to yourself that that you were sort of becoming the thing that you were studying? Well, I mean, I, I totally felt that desire to, you know, make that leap where it's like, it's almost there. And, you know, I could probably do it and get away with it. You know, just say this guy's Q. You know, I, I mentioned in the early days of QAnon, there were these videos floating around where they people would, all these people with names like, you know, Ultimate Hacker X or whatever, would sort of purport to have these videos showing various figures logged in as Q. But it wasn't quite there. And, you know, I would say, okay, well, where I... 
you know, you don't quite have it. And they would say, oh, just watch the video again. And I think there's a temptation to say, all right, good enough. I'll run with that. Um, yeah. You know, the the readers of the Daily Beast will not be able to suss out the differences between all these different people named like Defango and whatever. Sure. Um, but but the but, you know, ultimately you do have to, you know, it's. I sort of had to admit defeat uh, and say, okay, you know, maybe someday the the information will emerge or someday someone who's a part of this collective or this Discord group will leak the chats and we'll have it all nailed down. And, you know, it, ultimately, I think uh, Colin and, and his show got got as close uh, as anyone has. And, you know, sometimes you just have to admit you, uh, you didn't bake the breadcrumbs uh, quite right. Yeah, and that's okay. Look, guys, if you put a loaf in the oven and it comes out burnt... <laughs> <laughs> or, or crusty or crumbly. You don't you try, have to eat it. You try, yeah. You try to put a little bit of butter on it, and it just it disintegrates under the knife. It's okay. It's okay to toss that loaf. You know, <laughs> you don't need to put it in a bag. Put it in the freezer. Yeah. You know, you, you when you take it out of the freezer two months from now, it's not going to be better bread when you reheat it. It's still going to be shit. Um, and that's okay. While we have you here, mm-hmm. I'd also like to talk to you about the recent revelations about Fox News that came from the Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit. So text messages and testimony from some of the biggest stars and most senior executives at Fox News revealed that uh, they privately expressed disbelief about Trump's false claims about the 2020 election being stolen, even though the network continued to promote many of those lies on air. The network hosts were especially shocked by claims uh, by QAnon promoting lawyer Sidney Powell. Uh, for example, there is this exchange between Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram. So, tell you what, uh, uh, Jake, can you play Tucker Carlson and Julian B. Laura Ingram? Yes, sir. Sure. <laughs> I'll do my most, my most annoying uh, voice that I can do. So Tucker says, Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Our viewers are good people, and they believe it. So that's that's crazy stuff. That's just something that they, you know, they, they're just saying, like, you know, these sorts of claims that are getting popular with Trump supporters are just worthless. But, what, Will, what do you think this reveals about, like, the inner workings of Fox News? Oh, man. I mean, I, I, I think this filing really... You know, it's like the biggest reporting on Fox News, that, you know, even though it's not really reporting uh, in maybe a decade. It just shows us, you know, what what was obvious to a lot of observers and what we suspected, which is this is a totally cynical operation saying, OK, we need to kind of walk the line between setting off a libel lawsuit and but keeping our viewers entertained and, and tuned in and sort of convinced that the world is all against them. But then behind the scenes, you have I mean, just Tucker texting Hannity and Ingram being like, ah, fuck, or saying that, um, you know, Trump is the demonic force who wants to destroy me. You know, I mean, these guys are going just absolutely flipping out. And as as you say, behind the scenes saying, you know, Sydney Powell's just full of it. Uh, but I guess we have to keep her on or she's going to go to Newsmax or saying like Maria Bartiromo is, is just off the reservation. She's going nuts. So, I mean, it is a it's very insightful. And, you know, the good news is that there's more to come. I mean, I, I think we're going to get more filings. The dates keep changing, but by the end of the month and then some more in early March. So it is uh, it's just wild to me that Fox hasn't settled this. Uh, I know it's a huge amount of money. It's over a billion dollars. But it is, you know, in wow. previous cases, like the uh, the Seth Rich case, they did settle it to avoid getting deposed. This one is going on so far that um, I mean, it's it's just really giving us such a such a fascinating insight into how they run things over there. Well, and what's so interesting to me is that, you know, they could probably have said, you know, hey, these claims are 
you know, there's really nothing, there's really nothing to them. And hey, that's our duty to, you know, because we we value you, the viewer, and then move right on to something else that could keep their viewers engaged. Uh, any of the, you know, the wedge topics, gun control, yeah, abortion, but they were, they were going to get they were going to get outflanked by Newsmax. And I remember this this period because a lot of Q people started saying Fox like they would include Fox in their like right, fake news in the media fake news CNN. Yeah. Yeah. It was like suddenly Fox had a target on its back because it wouldn't uh, essentially carry water for this thing yeah yeah i mean they're saying in these messages you know they're, they're saying uh oh god newsmax did a million last night grant stinchfield whoever the hell that is you know he's kicking our asses and that must have that must have you know just chuffed them so bad because you look at newsmax and it looks like the um like the news station in like grand theft auto 5 like <laughs> just like a completely like a um, fake or you know or a b movie you know when they open it with the newscast they always do that and it just looks like the moniker or the the Chiron is, I've learned the right word. There I you learned are. the word. It's there a Chiron. You Thank you <laughs> to Cousin Josh who texted me that after listening to the episode where I got it wrong. You know, it's like, God, that must have sucked. Because, like, Newsmax, listen, look at the name, Newsmax. It sounds like a fake <laughs> operation. And they're like, oh, my God, they're doing millions. The, you know, I think when when you sort of view yourself as as the number one, you know, you're Kleenex or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, Puffs is, you know, doing good numbers uh, during during allergy season. You know, you're worried. That is a very, very strange choice, but yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of what came. It's cold outside. I got a little bit of a sniffle. The, I'm the thinking famous, about tissues. The famous yeah. corporate war that we all know between yeah. Puffs and Kleenex. <laughs> they might even be the same brand. I'm not sure. I couldn't think of the number two, the what number two happening? Kleenex brand. Anyways, carry on. Who? What is Q? Who is Q? Not interesting to me. How does Jake's brain work? That is the real question of our era. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, another thing that the lawsuit revealed, and I thought this was interesting, is that Fox News hosts think that fact-checking will cost them money. There was a message from Tucker Carlson that pointed to a tweet uh, in which a Fox reporter, that's Jackie Heinrich, fact-checked a tweet from Trump referring to Fox broadcasts and said that there was no evidence of uh, voter fraud from Dominion. Tucker Carlson said this about the reporter. Please get her fired. It needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. <laughs> and then Heyrich deleted her tweet by the next morning. Absolute insanity. I know that. I know it's like it's like kind of a weird cliche thing to say like like Fox News is not a news organization. But when literally fact checking is discouraged, and in fact might cost you the, your job, then obviously it's not like a real news organization. You have Tucker Carlson freaking out over this reporter doing the most milk toast like fact check election not stolen, and it's just like oh no, shut up. And then at this also in the document you have Rupert Murdoch saying look. I know the election stuff screwed up. For now, we just got to focus on electing Republicans in Georgia. I mean, just really just laying it out there. <laughs> I mean, it does It does seem like if you were to do like a parody of like how you imagine like Fox hosts and executives talk about it, it's like, who cares about what's true? Let's get Republicans elected. <laughs> but like all that's kind of a cheesy, you know, skit you might see on like like late night TV or something. But like it basically actually happened. And this is like exactly what the QAnon believers think is happening, like behind closed doors at CNN. You know what I mean? That, you know, some overbearing uh, sort of like editor in chief is like, nah, screw the truth. We're running with this. This is what we're running with. You know, it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, some guy, you know, I was tweeting about this and some guy was just like, oh, whatever. I'm sure worse goes down at CNN. And then I looked him up and he works at the Epoch Times. And I was like, well, what the hell? You know, <laughs> stay out of my mentions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, goddamn. What a stupid world we all live in now. <laughs> more so, more so than the folks that don't have to think about this kind of stuff every day. Uh, how's your how's your mental health uh, after writing the book, Will? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, it really was such a such a crazy journey. Um, and, and I have been hearing from so many people who were sort of meaning to check out this QAnon thing, but it's, you know, and they, then they look into it and they read the book and they're like, damn, this, this is pretty crazy. This this for real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the like the number one question I get from people in my, you know, personal life who once they find out that I that I do this, they go, people really believe in that? I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm sure you all run into this all the time. I mean, in the lead up to this, uh, you know, I was saying to people or people would ask my wife, what's your husband do? And she'd say, he's writing a book about QAnon. And then you have to say, you know, it's a it's an anti-QAnon book, to be clear. Yeah. When old like friends check in on me like randomly and they'll be like, so what, how's, how's it going, man? Like, what's, what's going on? You still work in entertainment? I'm like, well. <laughs> certain things have transpired yeah i have like a whole sp- i'm sure you do too like i have a whole speech to be like well yeah i'm tracking like online radicalization through conspiracy theories and why you know why this happens uh, the- and then they're like what's the podcast called i'm like q anon anonymous but it's like anti-q <laughs> but like but we're but we try to approach it with compact like there's just so many qualifiers because it is such a bizarre and nuanced and layered movement it's yeah, it's it's really tough. So, I mean, yeah. kudos to you for taking all of the research and and, you know, embarking on the journey to try to put it in a book that that somebody who isn't necessarily in, you know, in the weeds like we are can pick up and 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 understand, uh, you know, sort of the the broad as well as sort of more nuanced and specific strokes of, of what took really took place over the last like four years, five years, seven years. I don't know how long it's been a while. Too long. (laughs) Yeah. That book, again, is Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. And we just scratched the surface of the fascinating stuff that's in it, so pick it up. Will, thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much, guys. It's always fun to be on. Always a pleasure to have you, man. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and sub for five bucks a month to get a whole second episode for every main one, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. There's more than 200 of them and ongoing series uh, like Man Clan, previous series like Trickle Down, and of course, future series. If you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. It helps us stay advertising-free and editorially independent. For everything else, we've got a website, QAnonAnonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto-cue. Can't we just, like, build a little army lawful to just go to the monarchy? And grab these monarchs and throw them on their face and throw them in handcuffs and just get them off the streets. Can't we? I actually plan on, so, um, and I'll show you this clip, like, a little, like, as I'm wrapping up here. But I'm trying to go around to these BLM-minded folks. I have, like, situations where we're going to go talk to some Crimson Bloods in South Central LA where they could tell us stories about the CIA drug dealing back in the day. Uh, I'm trying to, to, to persuade the black media in Vegas and in LA to back our play here. And if we do that, that creates this ripple effect around the world. And now all of these African refugees that they just let into Europe, now all of those African refugees are foot soldiers for the revolution uh, who are 
maybe I again we're not gonna tell them to go do anything crazy, but of course we can't be responsible if they hear the truth and they're very upset by that. And they will and, and they will they be. take matters in their own hands. So again, exactly. we don't condone violence here at the quantum movement. No. Of course not. But again, we can't be held responsible for what like when people hear the truth, it's so crazy that we can't be held responsible for, you know, how people react to that, right? So